So good to be with you this morning. Hello, Timber Creek. How are you? I'm so grateful to be introed by that guy. Pastor Jeremy and I go way back. Uh, we went to college together. Anybody want a juicy story on your pastor? That's because you're dysfunctional. That's the part of you that wanted that juicy story. We've signed an NDA with each other. We don't disclose those kind of stories um, on the pulpit. So no, no come, after me, come up to me after service and I'll share a couple with you. Um, but you, you know this already about him. You guys are blessed. You guys have an awesome pastor who loves you and uh, he is, sometimes we're in a world within our own bubble that we love and maybe appreciate our pastor, but you need to know that your pastor is loved and appreciated around the country. He's known and recognized and respected, and you guys are blessed. I know you know that, but sometimes it's good to know it and hear it from, from the outside as well. Well, last night, my wife and I got here early, and uh, we went and saw we went and saw a movie. Um, we went and gave a, gave a chance, gave a shot to the DC movie, Flash. And uh, I know there's mixed reviews going on, but we went and checked it out. It was good. And I was actually doing some, um, I was doing some, some, quote, research. This is helpful, right? And uh, I want you to hear this. There was a company last year that did a poll across America of people's most desired superpower. Like, if you ask them, hey, what kind of superpower do you want? Like, think about just for a second, what power do you wish that you had? Some of you are thinking about what yours is. Some people might say, well, I'd love to fly. I'd love to have super strength. Maybe to, uh, you know, telepathy, read people's minds. But actually, none of those made the list. The two, the top two in America were actually um, healing, healing powers, as well as teleportation. To be able to teleport yourself, think yourself, and be able to be there instantly. But what, what struck me about this was um, the stats that followed. Listen to this. How many know we live in a dysfunctional country? <laughs> Listen to some of these things, all right. So um, it says this, that nearly 30% of America would give away their pet for a superpower. Well, how kind of heartless person would give away? I would, here's my dog. This is the dog I would give away. This is Sarge, I would give him away in an instant. Um, he's served his purpose, we've petted him for years. It's time to trans. Transfer him, okay? Uh, the next one, um, I love this one. 42% of people said they'd give up the internet for a superpower. 42%. 59% said they'd give up their smartphone. Others said, no, I'll hold on to it, okay? I love this one. 80% said they'd give up streaming services like Netflix to, to get a superpower. That means, think about this, 20% of people go, Netflix, superpower, I think I'll hold on to Netflix. That is, that is broken. Listen to this last one. Listen, this is crazy. This says something about men. <laughs> and I'm one of them, all right? Um, it says this, um, 2.3 out of 10. So 20, over 20% of men would give up their firstborn child for a superpower. All right, 20%, 20% of you guys, and you're here in the room, and yet, how many, if you're here in the room and you give up your firstborn child, raise your hand, you're liars. I know you're in the room. Here's a picture of the one I'd give away. No, I'm kidding, there's no photo coming. There's no photo coming. So, um, you know, there's a lot of powers that we'd like to have, but I, I, here's what I wanna do is, I wanna talk to you today about a special ability, call it one of our superpowers as Christians, that God gives uh, followers of Jesus. And I want you to be leaning in and listening to it, listening to the message to kind of discover what that is today because I think, honestly, um, we'll talk more about it, but 
it's one that sadly, sometimes we don't lean into that we, that we need to. If you got your Bible, open up to Romans chapter five. We'll have a passage here on the screen that'll help you as well. But over the last, as I set this up, over the last few weeks, um, you were, you'll, you'll be reminded that Pastor Jeremy had kind of set up that the book of Romans is really almost like a legal argument. It's, a, it's almost like a legal treatise that, that Paul writes and it's kind of, the, the book of Romans is kind of dense, it's kind of thick. Sometimes you have a reading, something that's a little more complicated, you gotta go back and reread some passages, read some verses again. But the book of Romans is worth it because it's so powerful, because it talks to the idea of why we as mankind are in need of salvation, how we get salvation, and then the impact it has on our life. So I'll set it up, Romans chapter five, we're gonna drop into this passage. Romans chapter five, verse one, says this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So just to kind of rewind the tape just a little bit, um, you'll see over and over in the book of Romans and in this passage, the word justified. He says, you've been justified by faith. Little on, later on in this chapter, he says, you've been justified by his blood. The word justified comes from our word justice. And it means, justified means to make right. To make right. Now, think to yourself, like, what, what, what does it mean to be made right? Well, think about outside of a courthouse. Maybe you've seen the statue of what you, maybe it didn't know the name for it, but the statue of Lady Justice. And Lady Justice is the woman outside the courthouse, the statue of holding the scales. She's blindfolded and she's, she's trying to adjust the scales of justice. What's the scales of justice? Meaning something that's been done wrong is now needing to be made right, right? And so she's seeking to balance those scales justly. And this is important because you've gotta ask yourself, why do we need to be made justified or why do we need to be made right with God? Why do we need to be made right with God? Sometimes if you talk to an atheist or an agnostic, or even maybe a younger believer, or just maybe sometimes Christian in general, they'll say, why, why couldn't God just forgive mankind? Why couldn't God just step up to the plate and go, you know what? Hey, you're all pretty jacked up and messed up. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna for, forgive you. You're all forgiven. Why couldn't God do that? Why this elaborate, dramatic stage play of Jesus going to a cross, dying. Why, why does it have to be this bloody? And the answer is, is that just like a judge behind a judge's bench cannot sweep broken laws under the rug or turn a blind eye to, to laws being broken, that's what a corrupt judge does. A corrupt judge acts like what's been done has not been done. It's what a corrupt judge does. But because God's not only loving and merciful, he's also holy and just. And for God to not truly deal with our sin, meaning he has to, come, he has to go against his nature. He, to be congruent, God must do something about our sin. He's gotta do something about it. And, great, and, and, and um, all of us standing here, as you probably have already heard in the last couple of weeks, how many know that all of us are sinners? Is there anybody in the room with me today? All of us are sinners. 
All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The book of Romans tells us that. Paul tells us that. All of us have sinned. And if that's the case, meaning our sin is in the witness box testifying against us that you and I have sinned against a holy and just God. And because of that, Scripture says, when we're born into sin, we are what's called children of wrath. Like a pipeline of wrath hangs over us. Imagine if you've ever seen a concrete truck having that pipeline, it's dumping concrete into an area. Imagine that pipeline hanging over you, that before you come to faith in Christ, you have a pipeline of wrath just waiting to drop, a hammer waiting to drop. That's not good news. That's not good news, so we need good news. Anybody want some good news? So so the good news is, is the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. Christianity is founded. The centrality of Christianity is the gospel. Let me give you an illustration. Like for instance, I've got this ladder. This ladder here is represents religion. And for the most part, all religions are built like this. Um, Even with various different names, even with various deities, all religions are built like this, Christianity being the exception. So so, um, the ladder of religion says that you've got to do certain things to make your way to God. You got to be good enough, got to do enough good deeds, you got to check enough religious boxes. You, You got to keep climbing the ladder, it's on you to do certain things to get yourself to God. Some, some part of religions might say, if you do these certain things, you can find yourself um, attaining enlightenment in that religion. But the ladder of religion puts all the onus on you, all the effort on you. It's on you to get yourself to God. That's what religion teaches. That's not good news. That's bad news. The bad news is all the effort, all the energy, all the, you've got to string enough good days together to kind of get yourself up to God. That's not good news. The gospel, however, the good news is, is that not that you're called to somehow get yourself to Jesus or get yourself to God. The good news of the gospel is that God, the Father, sent his only son, Jesus, down to us because we could not get ourselves there. So it's that, this, that, that Paul sets up this passage in Romans chapter five. He says, listen, the only reason you could be made right with God or be justified is by faith in Christ and what he's accomplished. And then he uses these words, not only that, those three words. He says, if you think that's good, if you think that's good news, he has something else for us. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter five, verse three, here we go. He says, not only that, but we, here it is, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul points to a a truth that's found all throughout the Bible of basically what one of our superpower is. He's given us the ability to rejoice in the middle of suffering. He's giving us the ability to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Now these two words, rejoice and suffering, are like on two opposite ends of the spectrum. It seems like those two should not be going together. If you're in suffering, you shouldn't be able to rejoice. So I wanna talk to you about how you get this ability 
and how you can begin to cultivate this and your life, the ability to rejoice in suffering. The first thing I wanna tell you about is, is what rejoicing in suffering is not, okay? Rejoicing in suffering is not acting like that the suffering you're walking through is not that big a deal. Like sticking your head in the sand, acting like it's, it's not hard or not difficult, it's not, that it's not tragic. I think this is probably one of the, the most dysfunctional false beliefs in the American church today is that if, you, if you're walking through suffering, you've, you can't, don't let it bother you too much. It's, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be fine, just push your way through it. Just put a mask on. And that ends up what a lot of people do in the church. They end up, because it's kind of a pervasive belief, they don't feel like they can be genuine and authentic when they're walking through painful, tragic, dysfunctional, broken times they feel like they have to put a mask on. And so no one might feel like they can be real. In fact, we live in such a kind of an optimistic society, especially here in the US, where people get uncomfortable if you're sad for too long. They'll give you a day, they'll give you a day or two, but then they want you to come, let's move on. And yet that's not what you find in scripture. It's not what you, we can't find that in the Bible. Think of the story of Job. The story of Job paints a picture of Job who just goes through grief after grief. He, he loses, all of his children are killed. Um, he's struck with a brutal disease that's eroding his body. He loses every single thing he owns. He doesn't have anything left. And yet sometimes when people tell the story of Job, they just rush on to the quote where he says, the Lord gives and takes away, right? It's almost like, it's like the idea that's, that somehow, hey, it is what it is. You know, things happen. But that's not what happens. In fact, when Job loses his children, goes through this brutal disease, loses everything he owns, Scripture tells us that he actually shaves his head, tears his garments, sits in ashes, and then the Bible says that in all these things, Job did not sin in the shaving of his head, in the tearing of his garments, in the sitting of the ashes, none of that was a lack of faith. None of that was a, all that heartbreak, all that grief. Some of us, we feel like we're not allowed to be openly sad or grieving or hurt or wounded, that we can't show that part because that's somehow showing weakness or a lack of faith, and that's simply not true. You look in scripture, look at Jesus' life. This is Jesus, the holy, the sinless one. And all throughout the narratives of the gospel, we find Jesus heartbroken, downcast at moments, tears falling from his eyes. Why? Because he can see not only the suffering around him, but we watch him endure suffering. And so this idea that when it comes to suffering that we can't show it, we can't expose it, we can't, we can't walk through it. I would say this, that... Um, there are many people that don't have a theology of suffering. What do I mean by that? They don't know how to view God, view themselves, and view life and their circumstances. They don't have a theology of suffering. So when pain and heartache and loss and suffering and tribulation happens, the wind of that is so great and they don't have a theological understanding or structure to be able to stand, so they're blown over. They fold like a cheap suit because they don't have a theology of suffering. And I think it's one of the greatest needs in the church today. We must have a, 
You need to have this in your toolbox. Some of you are walking through suffering right now. Some of you are coming out of a season of suffering and things are getting a bit better. And some of you, the suffering is coming like a freight train. And you need to be spiritually grounded and prepared for that moment for when it comes so that you don't fold and cave. The reason, the other thing is, is that um, suffer, uh, rejoicing in suffering also isn't the idea that um, you have to rejoice because of suffering. Hey, I'm, I'm suffering, praise God. This is not a theology of masochism where, where you're supposed to act like you enjoy it. No, rejoicing in suffering is that even though I'm walking through pain and heartache and distress, the ability to rejoice in suffering means I'm able to see and look for and glean, get, make gains, find the gold in the midst of the rubble. Now, some of us are like, I don't want the gold. Pay me another way. I don't want to go through suffering. I don't want to go through what's difficult. We, we, we want to go around that. They want, we want the easy button. We want to somehow find the gift of all that wisdom another way, but there are some things that you can only learn in the valley of the shadow of death. There are some things you can't learn from a sermon. There are some things you can't learn from a book. There are some things you can only learn in the valley. And my heart today is that you be leaning in and saying, God, help me, I need to grow and mature, I need to mature in, in this area. I want you to consider and think about this just for a moment. Listen to the gifts that he, he paints for us when it comes to um, these gifts. That the idea that we suffer, right? And suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. So suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. So I want you, as we lean into this just for a moment, I want you to think about this, that as God shapes us and molds, us, molds, molds our hearts, this idea of endurance is a lot like being tested. It's like being tested. Um, one, of this, one of the parables that Jesus gives, he calls it the parable of the soils, right? It's the parable of the soils. And what Jesus does is he talks about four different kinds of people, all right? And he uses four different types of soil to describe how four different types of people respond to the word of God, respond to Jesus. I can't give them all to you today, but I'll tell you one. One of the types of soil, one of the type of pea person that's out there, Jesus describes, uses the illustration of a stony ground and that the word of God is like a seed. And the word comes out and the person at first receives Christ or receives the word at first with joy and excitement and they're leaning in. And it looks like they have a genuine faith in Christ. But the Bible says that Jesus describes, but then the sun comes, the S-U-N. The heat of the sun comes on that plant. It looks, it pops up from the ground. It looks strong. It looks vibrant. But when the sun comes, and Jesus describes the sun as suffering and tribulation, when the suffering comes, it says the plant withers. And Jesus tells us why that plant withers, why that type of person withers. is because they had no root system. They look like they had a genuine faith in Jesus. They look like they embraced the word, but in the end, suffering revealed that they had no real root system. And, and here's, I'm just gonna keep it real to you today. Some of you think you're further along in your faith than you actually are. 
Some of you think you have a more thriving root system in faith than you actually do. And the reason why is because you've not actually had to endure the valley. You've not felt the heat of the sun just yet. But I promise you, when, when suffering comes, it will reveal either the, the roots you have that are hold you and ground you in the middle of the heat of the tribulation, or it'll reveal the lack of real roots you have in faith. That's why many people, when they go through difficulty, walk away from the church and walk away from their faith, and they go, why would God allow that? If God's real, why would he allow that? And really what that, we were talking about this uh, in between services, uh, really what that reveals is that person didn't really love Jesus, they only loved God when life, they only loved and thought God was good when life was good. If life isn't good, then God must not be good. And it means their root system was in the God, the outcomes that God was giving them, not God himself. And so this first act of endurance, one shows, it's a testing, kind of, it reveals, it reveals. But the other thing that suffering does is that if you'll let it, it'll, allow, it'll draw your heart and life closer to Jesus. Look at this quote from Charles H. Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the 19th century. He pastored one of the largest churches in London. Listen to this. It says that he said this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. What is he saying? Is that even when, when all life has hit the fan, and, and I'm, I'm walking through something that's painful and feels like my life's being taken apart. He says, I've learned to actually in the end see it as a gift if it forces me to lean into Jesus even closer. That it actually can be in the end a gift to me. And I'm telling you, I've walked through the valley. I've sat just like you in a room just like this, hearing a sermon just like this, thinking I'm good. But when you endure the heat of suffering and tribulation, when suffering comes knocking on your door, you're gonna find out where your walk with God truly is. This last, I wanna say the last five years, our family has just, we've walked through a ton. We've lost, we've, wa we've watched two dear ones in our family die of cancer. Heartbreaking. I've sat at the edge of uh, uh, the bed begging God, please, please, Lord, would you turn, would you turn this around? We were singing earlier about how God is able. You are more than able. We were singing about that just a minute ago. I've seen God do the miraculous. Last year, our office manager at our church, her name's Valerie, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I watched God miraculously heal her, completely cancer-free. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? So I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen the miraculous. I've seen God do it. But I've also been at the edge of an ICU bed begging God, please, please. And I've seen God's ultimate outcome, his will and his way to take them into eternity. Do you have a theology of suffering that can endure when what he's able to do is not what you would like him to do? Do you have a theology structure within you that can endure that? It was just two years ago. It's actually coming up in about six weeks. 
I called Pastor Jeremy, late on a, uh, on a Saturday night, I was calling him from Abilene, Texas. My mom was on a ventilator in the ICU in Hendrick Medical Center in Abilene. And I called him because I was supposed to be on this platform with you two summers ago. I'd been with you guys a couple of years before, a year before that, and he'd asked me to come back. I called him and I said, I said Jeremy, I said, I don't, I can't, I can't come. I can't leave my mom right now. And within 72 hours, she was gone. This last year, as a family, we've walked through some deep waters with one of our sons. It's been so hard, it's been challenging, stretched, stretched my faith in the Lord. I've just walked through difficult times. Any of you that are parents in the room know there's not a manual for it. And we walked through some difficult waters. And I'm telling you, when I look at maybe some of the loss and the grief and the long sleepless nights, I am telling you, the gift in it all has been my walk with Jesus is closer than it was before. Suffering causes us to be more dependent on Jesus than we would had we not had to walk through it. It's not, you don't find Jesus, the closeness and the intimacy with him on the mountaintop, you, found, you find him in the darkness of the valley. It's there that he proves himself faithful. When we're on the mountaintop, we might be able to recognize, man, God, you, you gave me this. You've blessed me with so much. We can recognize it, but we're not looking for him with all our might until we're in the valley. It's so crucial that we come to a place of, of endurance and being patient. I want to encourage you that if you're walking through a challenging time right now, if you're walking through a challenging time in just personally, can I encourage you to begin to work the, the muscle, cultivate endurance by being patient. Like keep, you might be walking through a difficult time. Right now the temptation is to isolate and withdraw. Some of you are like, man, I didn't even wanna be here this morning. Can I encourage you, keep doing the right things for the right reasons. Keep leaning in on Sunday mornings, keep leaning into gathering for worship, keep leaning in to be in the word, keep leaning in in prayer. All the, 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 the stress, the duress you're feeling in the midst of suffering might make you wanna kinda of pull back and draw away, and I'm telling you, lean in. Because that, that patience and cultivating that patience and endurance, what it does is that ends up cultivating a godly character in you that you might not have had before. What is character? Character means all of a sudden we become more mature and more refined. We become more like Jesus in the, in the process. Suffering not only shows us um, how deep our roots go in the Lord, it also reveals uh, how or who or what we've been putting our hope in. How many know that all of us have all kinds of hopes? Now, some of you are like, well, Jesus is my hope. He's blessed the Lord. He's the blessed hope. You, you might be able to quote scriptures back to me. But here's the truth. All of us put our hopes in all kinds of things. Some of us put our hopes in um, our spouse. Some of us in our children, in the outcome of our children, the direction of our children, how good they make us look as parents. Sometimes our hope is in our job. Our, our financial well-being, our financial resources, um, the business we own, our, our intellect, our talents, our abilities. Sometimes our, our hope is in uh, that boyfriend or that girlfriend or the one we long to have. Uh, sometimes our hope, we can put our hope in all kinds of things. But here's the deal. When you walk through suffering, many times suffering reveals where our hope really was. 
Because when that thing that you've been leaning part of your life, you've been leaning the weight of your life on, when that's threatened, when that, that thing is threatened and when that, that thing sometimes is even stripped away, it's revealed, man, I was putting an inordinate amount of weight on that. I had a lot of hope in that person, in that ambition, in that dream, in that thing. Suffering many times reveals the things that were good things that we made a God thing, that we made an idol in our life. And sometimes suffering strips away the 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 veneer, the mask, and it shows what's really there. And suffering shows us many times what is inadequate to carry you. Sometimes we're putting so much weight on money and stuff and things and pleasures and comforts and, and, and worldly security that sometimes God needs to strip that away and it's painful. He needs to strip it away to show us that we've been putting our hope and leaning the weight of our life on something that cannot hold you up. The gift is not only that God can cultivate endurance, but he can indulge, cultivate character in us. If you've, ever, if you've ever watched gold or a metal be refined in the furnace, I've got a photo here I think that might be able to help you and, and see you this, kind of get this, this picture. When you, for instance, when you put gold in a furnace and you take it up to an exponential, exponentially high temperature, what you'll find is um, as that gold heats up in the furnace, what happens, what rises to the surface in the gold is actually all the impurities that are in the metal. It's called, in that, in that term, it's called dross. And all the impurities, anything that might be not gold, will actually bubble up to the surface and the one that's, that's cultivating and trying to purify the gold will actually then have an iron ladle that will skim the dross off the top. Listen to me. Suffering is the furnace of life that exposes the impurities and the hopes, the false hopes, the things that we lean the weight of our life on that simply cannot hold us in life. Some of you are in the furnace right now. You're in the furnace right now. And you've never known it to be this hot and this painful. Some of you are maybe younger, you're on the younger end of life and you're not having, you've not had to face a lot of heartache, pain, loss, grief, but I'm telling you, it's coming like a freight train and you need to be able to cultivate the maturity now so that when that, come, that moment comes, you're not folding under the weight of, of the suffering and the trial and tribulation. There are some things that you cannot learn from a sermon that you have to experience. I remember when, probably about 15 years ago, Aaron and I were walking through a difficult time in our relationship and in our marriage, and I realized that all, the, 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 the temperature was turned up in our life, and I realized that I was putting more weight on her as my wife, as my spouse, that she could not, and she could not hold it up. She couldn't give to me what God was designed to give to me. 
And that suffering revealed that in that moment and was able to cold. I was able to thankfully repent, repent to her, go to her, apologize. I've been expecting from you what only God can give me. And I wanna encourage you and challenge you that your character many times is refined in the heat of suffering. We don't wanna to go to that university. We don't wanna learn for at the graduate level school of pain. Nobody wants to go to that class. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your next step many times in your walk with God is learning to trust him when the lights go out, when it gets painful, when it gets, when it gets difficult. Uh, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, we see the story of um, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're living in the time of uh, a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is a narcissist by nature. He creates a statue of himself. And then he puts a, a, a decree for the nation that on a certain day, at a certain time, musicians will play a certain song. And that when you hear that song played, everybody will kneel and bow to the image of, his, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow. Everyone else bows down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're there, they're standing, saying, hey, we're not gonna bow a knee to this earthly king, we're gonna stand. The only king we'll bow down to is, king, is, is, is the Lord our God. So Nebuchadnezzar has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has them arrested. And he gives them an opportunity to turn and go the way that he's telling them they refuse. Well, he says he sentences them to death. He takes a furnace, that was used for all kinds of things, one of them to, to, to kill people. He has the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual. In fact, it's so hot that the guards that are instructed to throw these three guys in, it's so hot that it kills the guards that are throwing them in. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes up to a, a high extended perch where he's able to look down into the, servant, uh, the, the furnace himself and not be killed. And he's expecting to look down and see um, three men being vaporized by this massive furnace. But what he sees is not men burning alive. He says they were walking around and there was a fourth man in the fire. Scripture says one that was shining like the son of God. Who was the fourth man in the fire? It was Jesus. Listen to me. Some of you are in the furnace right now. And some of you have gotten the cancer diagnosis or you've got a loved one that's gotten the diagnosis. You're walking through, you're making the, the weekly or monthly trips for radiation and chemo. Your, your marriage is rocked. You're wondering if your marriage is gonna be able to make this turn. Things are sideways right now with one of your kids and you're wondering how, they, they've forgotten everything you've ever poured into them. And maybe things right now are rocky financially. You're wondering how the bills are gonna get paid. You're, you're letting everybody here kind of portraying that things are good to go, but right now you're struggling. Listen to me, I don't know what kind of furnace you're walking through, but listen to me, there's a fourth man in the fire. You're not alone in the valley. The last gift that, that we're given is not just um, endurance that creates character, but character that gives us a hope. At the very beginning, we, at the very beginning of this message, we talked about that, thankfully, that we don't have to walk up the ladder of religion, that Christ has been sent by the Father. The gospel says that Christ has come down to us. And because of that, you can know the blessed hope of knowing that you are loved by God in the midst of the valley. You're loved right now in the middle of the cancer fight. Your love right now in the middle of your grief after losing a loved one. 
You're loved right now in the midst of the financial pressure and stress of life. You're loved right now with the, 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 the relational struggles that you're having in your home or within your family. You are loved. You are loved, and because of that love, you can know you can have a hope in Jesus. It's not just a hope for heaven and a hope for eternity. Somehow, if you can hold on long enough, you might be able to get there. Listen, it's not just a hope for eternity. It's a hope for the present. It's a hope for right now in the middle of the heat. It's a hope in the midst of the valley. Listen to this last truth I want to give you. The hope Jesus gives allows us to not only look suffering in the eye, but also find him in it. The, 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 the gift is this, that the hope that Jesus gives not only gives us the ability to look suffering in the eye. Listen, Christians, because of the hope we have in Jesus, we can rejoice in suffering. It's our superpower, better than the rest of the world. Why? Because we have Christ and what he's accomplished for us. The cross and the resurrection is not just about getting you to heaven. It's about getting you through the valley. And I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm praying for you today that in the midst of, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, I'm just, I want you to know that you're not alone. You can, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And I, my, my encouragement is that you allow the stress, the, the angst, the confusion, the loneliness, some of the loneliness, the grief, allow it to force you to your knees to depend on him like you never have. You will find you will find that he's cultivating endurance in you and character in you and hope in you that you did not have on the mountaintop when the sun was shining. You'll walk out a stronger, more mature, more vibrant Christian, a Christ follower, because you went to Payne University in the valley. He is able. He is faithful. And God wants to mature his church. He wants to mature us. And rather than kicking and resisting what he's wanting to do, Lord, I can't see this. I don't see a way out. I don't know the next steps. I feel like the lights have been turned out in the hallway of my life. I don't even know what to do in the midst of it. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Surrender. Take all that confusion, all that loneliness, all that grief, all that pain, all that stress, and say, Lord, I surrender to you in the middle of all this. I, I kiss the wave that crashes me back on the rock of who you are because I know I'm going to find a sweeter time of prayer in the middle of this. Some of us, the temptation we have, quickly, is in the middle of our valley, in the middle of our suffering, when the heat turns up, we run to other comforts. We, we numb out, we, we, we go on a death scroll, and we just scroll on in eternity. We turn ourselves to all kinds of other things, gaming. Some of us turn to food. Some of us turn to porn or sex. We, we look for these other comforts to try to manage the stress and the pain of what we're walking through. And I want to encourage you, listen, Jesus says, that cannot help you. That cannot carry you. It might make you forget for a little while, but when the lights go out and the phone gets put down, you are faced with the truth that it cannot carry the weight of your life. Jesus is able. You're not alone. He's with you. Why don't you stand to your feet all across the room and do your best to remain undistracted. Forget about the person on your left and right. If you're here, wherever you're gathering, whether you're watching online at another campus, you're here in the room, 
I just want us to be honest with each other. Let's take the mask off. If you're here today, if you're here in a place, just like, man, I'm walking through the valley right now. I'm in the furnace and man, it's painful. Without anybody bowing their head, could, if in the family of God, we can't be honest, what, what are we doing here? If you're here today, you said, I'm walking through the valley right now. Just, just slip your hand up. I shared my story with you. Some of you have similar things going on. Maybe you would have a different testimony and story. Lord, I pray right now, for, keep your hands up. I pray for every hand that's lifted all across every campus, for all those that are in the room online, for those in this room right now. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord God, let them find you right now. God, let them sense your nearness, that they're not alone in the midst of the, the, the pain, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the heat of the sun of tribulation and suffering. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, you'd give them hope. Remind them that they're loved by you, that you're, you love them, that you're for them, that you've not left them. I pray that you remind them that not only have you not left them, that God, they're a part of a family of faith that's much bigger than themselves. I pray you'd guard against isolation and withdrawing. And I pray, Lord God, you let them know that they're part of a family that loves them. The Timber Creek family that loves them, that's for them, that'll walk with them. I pray that there'd be a spirit of authenticity, of people feeling like and knowing they can be honest that they're walking through a painful time and that we need you and we need one another. In Jesus' name, amen.